This morning, as we wrap up our weekend of men talk, I decided to preach a message entitled, Great Moments in Mandom. I don't know if that's a word or not, but it is now. The first one we find in Genesis, the sixth chapter. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. Now it's kind of a passing phrase. I don't think we really connect. Sometimes we wonder, why would God flood the earth? Why would he do that? You have no idea. We have no idea how horrible this time on earth was. Um, I was in Germany a few years ago. The U.S. Army sent me over there to do some uh, seminars with the troops rotating out of Iraq. And uh, when we were in Germany, we, we did this little tour at a uh, castle. And uh, they had this dungeon thing where you could go. And, and they had on display some of the things that they used to do to torture people in the Middle Ages. Brutal. I mean, you talk about creative ideas to make people miserable. These guys, uh, they had metal helmets that they people wear and they keep tightening the screws a little bit every day until these things went into their skulls I mean they it was brutal I just remember going through that and this is just room after room of all these horrible devices designed to inflict pain and, and this is just four or five hundred years ago you can imagine back in this day the violence the tormenting the innocent victims crying out they, the, the world had become so poisoned because of sin, it had gone out of control. And as of yet, people had never really experienced God's judgment for things. And listen to me. When God shows up and kicks your butt, this is a good thing. It keeps you in line. When God disciplines nations and stuff, it keeps us in line. Sometimes, why would God allow such things to happen? You know, of course, you can't always say it's God that does these things. But I mean, sometimes it's just God's judgment, and it helps people get back to the basics. When there is no judgment of God, when God doesn't show up to do some butt kicking, things get out of control. And that's what happened. It's a great picture, by the way, of discipline in your own home. Doesn't mean you got to beat your kids silly, but you need to have discipline in your home. The worst hellion is a kid who never gets discipline. It's important for them. It's important. We need to have boundaries in life. And God had pretty much, you know, let these guys do whatever they want to do, and it just got out of control so bad that God decided to bring the whole thing to an end. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways, and God found this guy named Noah, the only guy he could find on the face of the earth who had not corrupted himself. And he says to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make for yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out so it could withstand the water and stuff. Now, then God goes on and he gives them very detailed instruction blueprints on how to build this massive boat. Now, we don't know how long it took him to do this, but it undoubtedly had to take decades for him to do this. One Bible scholar I was reading said it's entirely conceivable it took him 100 years to build this. Now, um, you have to remember these people lived very long lives back then, hundreds. It wouldn't, not a usual guy lived three, four, five hundred years. Uh, so certainly a different time clock back then. But this took a long time. It's not like he went down to Menards and, and got lumber. You know what I'm saying? They had to go find the trees, fell the trees, cut the trees, uh, machine everything by hand. And all they had were, you know, just hand tools and built this massive, massive boat. 
Now, there's no indication that he built it anywhere near water. You can imagine what the neighbors thought. This dude was insane. And in this culture of great violence and disregard for human beings, you can imagine the ridicule that he endured as they mocked him and pelted him with stuff and thought the guy was absolutely out of his mind. And at the same time, the guy still had a supply for his family. So I don't, you know, talk about having your hands full as he built with his two, three sons this massive boat in the middle of nowhere. Then after all this time, God brings the animals. I mean, everyone gets on the boat, closes everything up, and this flood comes, wipes out everything. And it wasn't like they climbed out of the boat, you know, a few weeks later. The Bible says that they were on that boat for 370 days. We're talking over a year on that. Now, you can imagine what that was like on this boat. No electricity for over a year. And uh, we're not talking, you know, uh, carnival cruise lines here. You know, and can you imagine some of the storms that they had to endure after this cataclysmic event in, in the, uh, the ecology of the earth? And getting, have you ever been on a cruise boat or something that's really getting tossed around? You know, it's like Hurl, Hurl City, you know what I'm saying? Like everything. And they've got these really advanced stabilizers to hold these things as still as possible. But even still, they can rock like crazy. I was on a cruise for Focus on the Family a couple of years ago. And, uh, man, I am holding on to something the whole time I'm doing my talk because the boat's going, whoa, whoa. The only people walking straight were the drunk guys because they were timing it out, you know. <laughs> but uh, everyone's like, whoa. Can you imagine on this thing? And after you're finally getting off this boat, one thing you got to hand it to Noah and that makes it a great moment in mandom is this is a man who stuck with it. Here's a man who had perseverance. He put his hand to the plow. He kept going. No matter how long it took to do the right thing, this is a guy who did it. Next one we find in Genesis, the 39th chapter. This is about Joseph. It says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that everything, uh, that the Lord had given him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes and he became his attendant. The guy's name was Potiphar. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Man, that's the way it ought to be in our lives. We should be so blessed that when we get around pagans, they get blessed. Somebody say Amen. We ought to just be blessing machines. Just everywhere we go, just blessing everybody, making everything better, walking in the room. Everybody feels better. God giving favor on our lives. Pretty cool. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So as a result, because this guy was so blessed, I mean, you know, we didn't like to have an employee like this. But everywhere he went, everything was so good. I'm sure he loved this guy. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, your life is pretty good when the only thing you got to worry about is what's for dinner. And that was Potiphar. He didn't have to worry about anything, think about anything, because this was incredible how skilled Joseph was in running everything in his world. Man, I'll tell you what, you'd be that kind of employee. Woo! Now, the next line says this. Now, Joseph was well-built 
and handsome. <laughs> Exhibit A. <laughs> he was quite the stud muffin. He was a good looking boy. And after a while, Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph and tried to seduce him. He said, come to bed with me. But he refused. Listen how he reasons. He says, with me in charge, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a thing, a wicked thing and sin against God? That's something he's thinking here. And by the way, this is classic. People who fall into adultery and in affairs, one of the first things they start thinking is, I deserve better. I really deserve better. I, I should have better. When in reality, we've all been blessed far beyond what we deserve. See, what Joseph did is she comes along and says, come on, buddy, you deserve better. Come on. And he says, no, 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 I have been blessed. I look at where I'm at in life. I have far beyond what I ever deserve. You think that way, man. That's one of the ways you can virtually affair-proof your marriage as long as you keep thinking, I am blessed beyond what I deserve. The minute you start thinking, oh, I really deserve better. I, I, I should have this. Now ah, you're in big trouble. So anyway, he refused, and verse 10 it says, and, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, trying to chase that boy down, Mr. Stud Muffin, he refused to go to bed with her or even be around her. But one day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the servants were inside, and she caught him by the cloak and said, come here, big boy. <laughs> and he left the cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. You see, Noah was a great man because... He stuck with it. Joseph was a great man because he had enough sense to run from it. There's a great verse in 2 Timothy, the second chapter. Paul is writing to the Christian church about how to deal with it. How do you deal with temptation? How do you handle temptation? And Paul basically said, run! Just run! Flee from youthful lusts. Don't reason with it. Don't debate it in your head. That's what, again, when you know you're in trouble, when you're looking at temptation, you start thinking, well, you know, I don't know, why do I feel this way? And, you know, maybe there's something. No! Who cares why you feel this way? Run! Stay away from stuff that you know is wrong. Stop reasoning. And I'm telling you, this is how sin gets people. Because they start to reason it out. They start to think it through. They start having these conversations in their heart. You know, I don't know. Maybe there's something there. I'd, I wasn't expecting it to happen. Ooh, I really deserve better. I, God wants me to be happy. You need a swirly when you think like that. Two swirly. That's right. That's a double swirly event in that life. So Noah stuck with it. Joseph ran from it. Now love this next one. This is in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war. They're going to fight against the Jewish people, the Israeli army. And they assembled at Soka and Judah, and they pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soka and Azekah, which is just south of Madison. And, uh, <laughs> 
And uh, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. Now the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley between them. And as you read later, you'll see that they were doing this day after day after day. It went on for like a month or so. They would just line up every day. Our army on this line, on hill, and they get on their hill, and they just go, and then they break for lunch, and that was it, you know. And then the next day, they do it again. I don't know what they thought they were accomplishing. They're like, okay, let's go. And then they quit. Strangest thing. Well, one day, this champion from the Philistines by the name of Goliath, who was from Gath, he came out of the Philistine camp. This dude was over nine feet tall. This is a big old boy. <laughs> nine feet, man, I feel bad for his mother. That had to be a big baby. <laughs> ah! Anyway, nine feet tall. <laughs> we had a great many men's conference. Bryce Pop spoke at it. He's a big dude, man. I asked him yesterday, what's it like? Here where you go, you got to look down at people. Like he's in the land of the little people all the time. But even Bryce, when he'd meet Goliath, would have to go, whoa, nine feet tall? Are you kidding me? He had a bronze helmet. This is heavy metal, people. Bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor made out of bronze. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves. He had a bronze javelin slung on his back. Bryce had this great analogy in his speech where he's putting on weights and stuff, how stuff can weigh you down in life. This guy, man, he had to be carrying a ton of weight on him. That was normal. He was huge, not just huge, but strong. And at verse 10, it says, this is what would happen. The Philistine would come up and he'd, he'd egg them on. And he was basically saying, you know, come on, send one of your guys to fight me, and whoever wins, that'll be the end of it. Well, easy to say, when you're nine feet tall, the guys were freaking out. Says the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man. Let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, who was the king of the Israelites, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now remember, this, this is before guns. guns. A gun is an incredible equalizer. It is. A little girly man like me can take on just about anybody if I got a gun. But back in this day, it was... Muscle on muscle, strength on strength, steel on steel. All the battles were fought this way. Here's a guy nine feet tall. This put the fear in anybody. But then this young punk comes along. His name's David. Now, we don't know how old David was. I've heard, you know, maybe he was 17, 18. But I, I, I even think that's unlikely because at 17, 18, even like in our nation, you, you were in the military then. They would have conscripted him. This kid was at home, still watching the sheep. He had to be more like 14, 15, maybe 16 years of age. And he comes and he sees this big behemoth of a man insulting his countrymen. And he says, what? Somebody else go kill him. And I said, man, I ain't going to kill him. He says, I'll go kill him. He started making fun of him, harassing him. He goes to the king. King, I want to go kill this guy. The king's looking at me. At this point, the king is frustrated. They've been at this for how long? There's no break. They're humiliated. Every day this guy humiliates them. And for some reason, the king just says, you know, you want to kill yourself? You know, go for it. So they tried to put armor. He's too small. They can't even get the, he can't even wear the armor. So he goes out there with nothing. 
just his little shepherd's outfit, whatever that outfit. It wasn't an outfit, but his clothes, you know. <laughs> that would have been a bad David. Anyway, so, so he goes out there, and, and he's got nothing. And uh, it says here in verse 45, David says to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. Yeah, big stuff. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord, see, he had such a passion for God, this kid. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Now I'm thinking all the guys on the Israelite side is probably saying, dude, don't make him mad. But he's egging him on. He says, I'm going to give the carcasses to the Phil- of the Philistine army to the birds of the air. The birds are going to poke your eyes out. <laughs> the beasts of the earth. The whole world will know there's a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's. He will give all of you into our hands. Whoa. This kid has some cojones, man. I'm telling you. I mean, everybody had to just be stunned. You can imagine, can you imagine being there? They just had to be stunned at this guy. And then the Philistine, he's furious, by the way. He said, what, am I a dog that you said? I mean, he was so insulted, this punk kid comes out. And in verse 48, the Philistine moves closer to attack him, goes in for the kill. The Bible says David ran toward him. <laughs> Man, the guys, I'm telling you, they had to be stunned thinking this kid is insane. And reaching into his bag, he's running as this guy reaches into his bag, he takes out a stone, he puts it in a sling, and whips it, and the stone sails through the air, hits him on the forehead. And the Bible says the stone, it was so strong, it sank into his forehead, knocked him out cold. And we often say that that's how David killed him. He didn't kill him. He knocked him out cold. Then, as you read it, David gets on top of him and takes his own spear and kills him. And then takes it and he swings it. I don't know how this guy did it because he was a small guy. But he took it and he cut off the guy's head with his own sword. And he picks up the head and holds it. And I think all the Israelites were probably standing there going. (laughs) And the Philistines were probably going. And eventually dawns on the Israelites, time to attack, boys. And they go, ah! And all the Philistines go, ah! And they're running, and they chase these guys out and just cut them into pieces. All because of a young guy who had some strength and some courage. Noah stuck with it. Joseph had sense enough to run from it, but David had the courage to fight for it. There are many, many moments, great moments in mandom that you can find in the Bible. We don't have time for them all. But I do want to read the greatest moment in the history of mandom. It's in Luke, the 23rd chapter. It says, when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus, after being humiliated, abused, spat upon, mocked, arrested in the middle of the night, ran through a sham of a trial. They broke all their own rules doing this. What they did was illegal. It wasn't right. 
so incensed were these religious hypocrites they wanted to kill Jesus they arrested him one night in the middle of the night and by the next day they're already crucifying him you talk about fast tracking something and in the midst of his agony Jesus looks down and gives the greatest statement a man could ever give at that moment he said father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Whoa, man. Wow! Noah stuck with it. Joseph ran from it. David fought for it. But Jesus loved us so much, he bled for it. You know, there's a scripture in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, very controversial, very debated portion of scripture. Where Paul writes about the roles of wives and husbands, and everybody always focuses on verse 24, which basically says these infamous words, wives should submit to their husbands. And of course, we've heard nothing but fits about this for the last 40 years, and how Christianity is oppressive to women, and women don't have any rights. And this. But keep reading. See, they don't keep reading. You got to get the context. The full context. I think we learned something a little bit about context the last week or so. As this video went around about this lady from Georgia who was talking about how she didn't want to help some white guy. But what she was telling in the rest of the story was, but I knew it was wrong and I helped him and made a difference in his life. I learned, and it was a story from 20 some years ago. But nobody bothered to hear the whole story. They just saw the little clip. And the government came down on her. Even the President of the United States pressured this lady to resign from her job in a panic, in a hurry. They wouldn't even listen to her. Then, of course, they saw the rest of the clip. They were humiliated and they had to apologize. And kudos to the President. At least he manned up, called the lady, and apologized. But you got to get context. And let me encourage you, we're getting ready to go into political season. Oh, dear Lord, every two years is insanity. You're going to hear all kinds of commercials and stuff. Man, don't, if you make your voting decision based off a 30-second commercial, you are a nitwit. Don't just look, because they're all going to throw slings. Find out the facts for yourself. Get a little educated for crying out loud. Somebody just take it five, ten minutes on the internet. Find out what somebody really believes, what they really stand for. Then make a decision make it a because I'm stupid ad get the context well get the context here he makes a statement wives should submit to their husbands and then he goes on next verse husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her how did Jesus love us did he show up and go, I'm the son of God. Don't mess with me. I'm the son of God. I am. Kill all, all y'all. You got to do what I say because I'm in charge. I'm the son of God. Somebody get me a sandwich. <laughs> Put mustard on it this time. Is that what Jesus said? Did he do anything even remotely close to that? 
his picture. Here he is, God in the flesh, and he served those that he was with. In fact, he served them so much, it made them very uncomfortable. It embarrassed them. At one point, Jesus gets down and he starts to wash the dusty feet of his disciples. It was freaking them out. At one point, Peter said, no, this isn't right. Jesus said, you need to let me do this or you have no part with me. He goes, okay, man, then do my head too. <laughs> Peter, what a Nimrod. I love that guy. I can relate to him. When you put it in context, the weight is not on the woman, I promise you. It's on the guy. And there is not a woman on the face of the earth who would have a problem submitting to a man who loved her and served her and sacrificed for her like Jesus did for us. Let me talk to some of you religious boys. You, any man who goes around and quotes to his wife that she's supposed to submit, you need to be slapped. All right, now, woman, you got to submit to me. I'm a man. Bible says I'm a man. Don't mess with me. I'm a... Bible says right there, you need to submit. You need to shut up and do what I say. Are you kidding me? Seriously, you get the real picture of this. It would be the guys who say, man, let's swap on this deal. You serve, you sacrifice for me, I'll just do whatever. Because that's not what it really means, they have to do whatever. But you get my point. The, the weight of this is on the men. Sacrificing, serving, giving. I invite the ushers to go ahead and come at the various campuses. We're going to get ready to do our communion time. Musicians can come back up on the platform. Great moments in Mandom. Noah stuck with it. Joseph had enough sense to run from it. David had the courage to fight for it. Jesus bled for it. Now, it's highly unlikely, gentlemen, that any of us from this weekend will be remembered for great things like these men were. But make no mistake, each individual man can still have his great moments of being a man. But I promise you, like these men, our moments will be very similar. Our greatest moments will be when we sacrifice for others, when we have the courage to fight for the right things, when we have the sense to run from the wrong things, and finally, when we have the perseverance, when everything tells us to give up. Let us pray that God will give us the strength to have the great moments in our lives. getting ready to take communion together. This is when we celebrate what Jesus Christ has done in our lives on that cross 2,000 years ago. The Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Have you surrendered to that incredible love in your life? 
If you have not, we're going to pray a prayer together. I'm going to invite everybody to pray this with me. Why don't you bow your heads? We're going to pray a prayer together. And if you're willing to turn away from what you know is wrong in your life and put your faith in Jesus today, you can begin to really experience God in your life. Let's pray this together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and that you loved me so much you went to the cross and you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender myself to you. Amen.